God is a father to the fatherless. 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 Hi, ladies and moms. Welcome to the Help I'm Raising Fatherless Kids podcast. I'm your host, Lori Apon. A few weeks ago, I talked with you about conversations that you will have with your children over time. Another very important conversation, probably a part of many conversations, to add to that list that you must have with your boys and your girls is on purity, pornography, and the enemy's plan to work against our children and you in this area. You may not want your children to be in listening range today, and this is not a conversation for little ears. It is my prayer that the information discussed today will serve as a springboard for those courageous conversations you do not want to avoid with your sons. We are sexual beings. God created us that way. Teaching our children about the gift of sex with its delights and dangers can be awkward and uncomfortable when our husbands are not there to help us or when our boys don't have a dad to go to with their questions. I understand, and that's why I invited Dr. Joe Rigney to join us today. He served as the president and professor of theology and literature at Bethlehem College and Seminary. He's the author of five books, including the book More Than a Battle, which has really prompted this conversation today. He is the pastor at City Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, and serves as a teacher at Desiring God. The best part, he would say, is that he's a husband to his wife, Jenny, and he's the father of three sons, ages 13, 11, and 3. Dr. Rigney, I am honored and blessed that you are with us today. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be here. Also on this conversation is a mom who is in the trenches, Jenny. She's a widow mom, and she has six boys, ages 24, 22, 20, 19, 15, and 12. Jenny, thank you so much for coming on to give us your time today as well. Yes, thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Moms of boys. Maybe you have little boys and you haven't thought much about this conversation or the topic of sex and talking to your kids about pornography, or maybe it's one of your greatest fears. You're very much aware of the importance of this conversation and this topic with your boys, and you don't know how you're going to handle this when they get to a certain age. And sadly, the age is getting younger and younger for when we need to have this conversation with our sons. More Than a Battle is a book that was recommended to me. I don't know if you've listened to some earlier podcasts, but I'll link to part of my story where I share that my husband struggled with pornography. He was in bondage and it was an addiction and it actually cost him his life. I am passionate about this conversation today for many reasons. I made many mistakes myself as a mom, raising boys without a dad, especially when it comes to this topic. I will share later in the podcast one of my biggest mom fails in disciplining my son when he messed up, when he made a mistake. I want to encourage you in how not to make the same mistake And so some of the questions today, we will glean wisdom from Dr. Rigney 
on how to help steer you moms to give you some tools that you need to help you as you raise your boys when it comes to manhood and the natural desires that they have and the gift that God's given to us all in being sexual beings and for our boys who have a natural curiosity and how we are to walk in purity and self-control. So I'm really glad that you're here. We're going to get started. And Jenny, if you think of some questions as we move through, just jump in. I have to give a disclaimer, though. I want to say in advance that, unfortunately, my portion of the sound for this recording is not the best, and I'm sorry for that. But I feel sure that you will find this conversation to be super helpful and worth listening to. Dr. Rigney, why don't you start with giving a little background for your book? What prompted you to write on the topic of more than a battle, if you're comfortable with giving us that backstory? Yeah, so the book emerged out of some talks and some some my own ministry as a mainly as a college professor. So I've been I've been a college professor since about two thousand and seven, uh, and pornography is a is a major area of uh, struggle for many guys at that age. It was for me when I was when I was that age in, in high school and in early college, and so um, God had mercifully delivered me from it uh, right around the time that I was married, right before I was married. And uh, so some, some major changes happened there um, in my own life. And then I was ministering to guys who were, who were in it. And, uh, and so basically developed a kind of uh, a little bit of an eclectic approach to, to trying to help them thinking holistically about the way that the body works and the mind works and the soul works and, and uh, the role of the scriptures and prayer and the role of accountability and some of the other psychological elements that really make this such a a difficult uh, subject to talk about and to and to fight, and so I had done some talks back. I don't know, probably 2010, 2011, uh, or 2012, somewhere in there at, at uh, my church, and then kind of used those for a number of years when I would lead guys, you know, through kind of a small group study who were struggling in that area, and then uh, eventually uh, was encouraged to kind of turn it into a book. And more than a battle is kind of the, the product of that. So it, it really emerged out of. I don't know, probably 10 to 12 years of, uh, of, of ministering in that kind of space with especially college students, but, but then over time uh, with other men in the church, guys who were married and, and uh, you know, so, so forth. So, and so that's, that was really my heart was, I knew that this was a really hard struggle. It was, it was a difficult one. I, I knew the challenges that I'd had as a, as a young uh, man uh, in that area and, and really wanted to see um, God do some amazing things in, in the lives of men in particular. Um, although I know it's increasingly a struggle that many, many women have, uh, in the, in the modern world with, uh, internet technology and so forth. But, uh, but I, my, my heart was really for, for young men and to try to build communities of men where there was holiness and, uh, and where there, there was victory and, and freedom, uh, and healing in, in this area of sexuality around, around pornography. Well, it's an incredible book. And again, this is what brought me to this conversation, because as I was reading it, you're writing to the church, you're writing to mentors. And I was searching the pages like, what do you say to the single mom? How can you help single moms who yeah. their biggest question is, how do I even find a mentor? So then how do you find a mentor? And if you find one, how are you going to trust them with this topic of conversation with our mm-hmm. boys? So I guess one of my first questions is, when should a mom talk to her son about pornography? It's one of those things when you talk to him about sex, 
when yeah. do you um, break into this naivety and talk to them about something that they really need to to have that conversation? And a mentor is great, but like I said, moms don't always know who to include in that conversation. So what would your thoughts be on that? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think, well, maybe maybe a couple of different layers. One, I think the idea of getting a, a male mentor, whether it's a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or someone else uh, from your church involved, I think is really wise, especially as as boys reach into kind of the that middle school uh, age. So sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. But I actually think that moms have a pretty key role long before that. And maybe this will be be helpful to moms who have younger younger boys. So it starts there where you're just trying to wanting to treat sexuality, how babies are made and all of that sort of stuff as a very uh, normal, natural and yet private and special aspect of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think one of the things in the modern world that we kind of forget is that for most of human history, these these questions actually came up really naturally. People who lived on farms or who had animals and had re- regular action you know, three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-olds, you're getting questions about what exactly is going on in the barn. And so those sort of things were just sort of a part of the, the world around you and that would provide a context for that. And, and we're kind of isolated a little bit more from, uh, from, an, from animals and natural kind of stuff that would, that would raise the questions. And so we kind of have to artificially uh, do it. And uh, in my own family, we've used a, a set of books called by uh, Stan and Brenna Jones called God's Design for Sex. And, uh, and it's basically a series of books that are kind of age staggered. You know, there's one that's kind of, you know, for like really young, five, six, seven, eight-year-olds, I think. And, uh, and then there's kind of a, 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 you know, round two, round three, round four. And, and a big part of that is just recognizing you don't need to think about the talk as a single talk. It's more an openness to conversation as things come up. And obviously, those are, these are conversations I've had with my own boys as a, as a father. But I think especially when kids are younger, um, there's ways in which mom, mom can have them as well, just as a, as a sort of like as a teaching, um, you know, this is how babies are made and things like that. And one of the things that my wife and I felt really strongly about is we really wanted to go earlier than you maybe thought you needed to, because we wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that it was us introducing these topics to our sons rather than risk you know, the baseball team or the kids on the playground or, or whoever, you know, bringing stuff in and, and them having to come ask us. Now, we wanted them, if that happened, to know that they could come talk to us, but we wanted to kind of be proactive and preemptive in, uh, in seeking to do that. So, so that was a, a pretty key part was uh, this, this, this set of books by Stan and Brenda Jones called God's Design for Sex. There's another book that we've used as they've gotten a little older, my oldest son, uh, by the Gilkersons. I forget the name of it. I think it may be just called Design for Biblical Sexuality or, or something along uh, those lines. And so those those were books that kind of introduced the topic of sexuality in a really age-appropriate way about how babies are made and things like that. So if I was a mom or I was talking to a mom and encouraging them on this, it would be when they're young, introduce the subjects, explain the kind of basics in this sort of way. There's ways to do it that are that are appropriate. And then just let it sit and just say, if you ever have any questions, I'm happy to talk. And so a big part of that is, and this really does relate to the pornography thing later, is I think you're trying to establish yourself in the lives of your sons as just kind of a safe place to talk about stuff that may be a little uncomfortable, but that it's normal to have that conversation. There doesn't need to be a lot of angst and pressure on the conversation at that level. 
The other thing to introduce, I think at a young age, uh, we, we did this when our sons were really young and it's helped obviously when you have a, a dad who practices along with them is just the kind of concept of wise eyes. And there's a real natural way, I think, to talk about our bodies are, are you know, you're going to be teaching your kids this for themselves. Your bodies are private. You have private parts. Other people um, aren't allowed to see those. Only mommy and the doctor and things like that are allowed to, to see or touch those parts in special, at special times or when you're bathing. And then we introduced the concept of kind of inappropriate dress to our kids when they were very young, you know, because you're watching, you know, a baseball game and the commercial comes on. And we wanted to begin to just train our boys in the habit of like, when people are dressed inappropriately, we don't look at them. They may be trying to draw attention to themselves. They want us to look, but we don't, we don't have to look. It's honorable for us not to look. And so we just developed the habit of like, you know, wise eyes is kind of one phrase that we would use or uh, something like that. And it's helpful to have a dad in the picture, but it's not necessarily essential. It's just, okay, that, that came on the screen. We're going to look away or we're going to change the channel or whatever. And you're doing that long before it's actually an issue for your son, right? It's actually the case that mm-hmm. he, he might be more curious about why the lady is dressed that way or might think that she's doing something funny. It's not actually an alluring thing. But what, mm-hmm. you're, what you're trying to do is just develop the habit of like, she's not dressed modestly. And we honor her and God and ourselves by not looking at her when she's being immodest. And so that category of modest and immodest is a really key one that you can introduce when kids are five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, long before the sort of pull of pornography is actually an issue. Mm-hmm. And it's one that you as a mom can just as easily introduce and you practice it in your home, right? So you're, you're, you're going to be modest around your kids and things like that. And so you're showing them this is how a godly woman dresses and is modest. And then this is what immodesty looks like. And we don't look at that and we do look at that and, and so forth. And so I think those are things long before the, the pornography question in particular is on the stage. You can, you can set the stage for some, some categories for your sons. To, to know what modesty and immodesty is, to know what sexuality is, how babies are made um, in sort of age-appropriate ways. And then that will then lay a pretty good foundation for when you hit those, you know, sixth grade, seventh grade, when it does become an issue, um, how you're going to talk about it. That is so helpful. Jenny, I don't know if you've had some experience with this. You're just two years into raising boys without a dad. So for the most part, I'm guessing most of your older sons have had their dad. And now you're faced with probably your youngest, I guess, is the one that is entering in. He's 12, so he's entering into those years. But I guess, Dr. Rigney, you know, we as much as we want to be proactive to talk to them about all that you've just said, we also want to talk to them about the dangers of pornography that we can do all all that we know to do to safeguard our children, not give them phones, you know, until a certain age. And then the neighbor can come along and, and open that door and it's out of our control. First of all, so how would you advise her to have that conversation? I know some of mine, because again, this was no son of mine is going to have the same problem as their dad type of thing, you know. So I was trying to be very proactive in many of the ways that you're talking about. But also talking to them about pornography. And then one said later on, well, I was so curious because you were bringing up a subject that made me curious. And the enemy is always at work, you know. So how should a mom have this conversation? And what what age would you say is appropriate to start introducing that conversation? What are your thoughts? How should she handle that? 
Yeah. So I think it's before a cell phone is even a possibility in the picture. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. long before you get to even talking about whether or not a cell phone or internet access is a thing, you want to introduce the idea of kind of good pictures, bad pictures. And there's actually another book that was, that's been helpful for us. There's, there's, there are some really good resources on these kind of things. So there's a book called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. When we've used them, it's not like we've had the kids read them. It's more like we've read them and then kind of keyed off of them with mm-hmm. our boys to talk about it. And it's, again, that concept of modesty and immodesty. And a big part of it, I think, for, for a mom especially, is to say that curiosity that a young boy is going to feel about the female body is a very natural and normal thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that it's, it's okay. And this is, again, you've laid that foundation of what sexuality, how babies are made and what marriage is and all of those things earlier. And it's that curiosity that someday, and this is the key, right? Someday that curiosity will lead you to uh, want to get married and to pursue a wife. And then you'll get married and you'll start your own family. That's what that curiosity is for. It's a desire that God's put in you to take you out of yourself at the right time to go pursue a wife. That's what that desire is for. That's the good thing that God gave you. Mm-hmm. But, but then, of course, you're, we're Christians, so we're talking about But good desires can get twisted. And so you, you probably want to actually have other examples of you know, desire, good desires that get twisted aside mm-hmm. from this that, that'll, that'll register. You know? So it's a good desire to want that toy, but it's not, it's, it gets twisted when you take the toy from your brother um, whenever he was playing with it. So that's, it's, mm-hmm. it's okay to want to play with the toy, but it's not okay to rip the toy from your brother's hands, right? So you, you, you're, you're going to do that. So that's good desires twisted. And so you have a good desire. And how does it get twisted? Well, it wants to look at or pursue um, what would belong in marriage when you're not married. And so that's, the, that's a way to kind of get that category on the table for your sons long before we're actually live dealing with it. And you're just prepping him saying, I know that sometimes you're going to see things on a advertisement or on TV and you're going to get curious and it's okay to be curious, but we want to learn to control our curiosity. Curiosity doesn't run us. We're in charge of our curiosity. And so this is actually like a more baseline thing for young men in general. I talk about this in the book that the the biblical exhortation, the most common biblical exhortation to young men is to self-control. They have a lot of energy, a lot of passions. And so learning to control yourself you choose what to look at. You choose what your hands do. You choose where you walk. You choose what you do. So the Holy Spirit is restoring control of you to you. That's a fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. And so we talk to my boys about this, not just in relation to pornography, but as a larger like, hey, bud, you got to control your body. I know that you really want to fidget, and it's, but it's not the right time. Or So we're just talking about self-control in general. And then this controlling curiosity is a subset of that larger expectation that we have for them uh, about self-control. And so I would say, you know, my son's 13. We actually use a gab phone. You may be familiar with a gab phone is a special kind of phone that doesn't have access to the internet and can't do any of this stuff. It's, it's a phone. <laughs> it's amazing. It's just a phone. Uh, it has some kind of calendar sort of stuff and it can text with certain people, um, but it's basically a phone for kids. And, uh, and so we have that for our boys so that when we're out, you know, we go, my wife and I go on a date, we can leave them and they can still call us if they need to. Also, the other big thing that we're, we're working on with them from the time, I think we started talking about this at eight or nine years old, was if you see other people with cell phones, you never just go look over their shoulder. And that would apply not just to like the kids on the playground, but like to their uncles or to me, right? Just 
you know, because sometimes they're just curious. They want to see what mom's texting. And so we would regularly correct them on, hey, bud, this is not your phone. Mommy's texting or daddy is working on something. You don't look over my shoulder. If it's something that I want to show you, I will show you. Or if you think that it's something that you would like to see, you can ask. Like if I'm watching a, a video of a, a baseball clip or something and they know it's baseball, I want to watch it. Ask first. Don't just come look. And so you're just cultivating a habit of you don't just look at somebody's phone, even in you know uh, benign circumstances. And, and when they kind of go, well, why? But why? You say, because there's things that someday there are going to be people with phones that are going to want to show you things that are harmful to you. And I want you to be the kind of person who knows that they don't look at things that are harmful. And so I'm training you that and we're practicing now by how we talk about phones and how you use my phone or look, try to look at my phone. We're practicing for that day because there's things that are harmful. And if they will like what? Say, well, remember how we've talked about uh, immodesty and, and people, sometimes people might want to show you immodest pictures just to see what you would do. And so we want you to be the sort of person who knows I don't just look at phones. And so, and this is like, this is live issue for us right now with the age that our boys are 13 and 11, where they have friends who do want to just show them a funny video. And it's like, you need to come ask first, you know, we got to have that conversation. And so you're just cultivating that habit of, you don't just go look at the, at your neighbor, your, your buddy's phone and they'll get corrected and even disciplined. Uh, if they fail, even if nothing bad happens, even if the worst that, even if all they saw was a funny cat video that somebody showed them, it's like, it was still, yeah, but, but what's the rule? What's that? What's the rule? And why does that rule there? And so trying to get them both, what's the rule? And then the reason for it, we're trying to protect you and guard your heart and your mind, because there are things that you might see that will be really hard to forget. And that, that's where even the, the looking at the pornographic kind of images for us often has kind of included other things that they might see on television that so like scary things right so when they're younger and a and a movie trailer for a horror movie comes up in the commercials right we would train them the same way we don't want to look at that and it's because i don't want you to have that image in your head i don't want you to have that thing in your head and it will get in there and it'll stay and as much as we want to protect them things like that will happen they'll see like a scary picture and it will stick with them and it actually gives them a category for an image that they can't get out. Mm -hmm. And, and that's like, that's good practice, right? To say, you remember when you saw that picture of the scary clown and you remember how you couldn't stop thinking about it for a couple of days. Okay. That's why mommy is really careful with you about what you see on TV or what you see on phones is mommy really wants to protect you from those things until you're old enough uh, to be able to, to handle it wisely. So those are the kind of things that you're doing again, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old to prepare for, okay, now all their friends have cell phones and are wanting to show them stuff. And you're trying to help, you know, equip them to be able to say, uh, I don't need to look at that. I need to just walk away, go do something else. That's, that's how we, we teach them. And that's stuff that moms can do just as easily as dads. My, my wife does that as often as I do uh, with, with our boys. That is so helpful and encouraging, especially for moms out there that you do have the younger children, you know, under, I would say probably under age 10. I hate to say that age 10 probably is when they're starting to interact yeah. more and more with others. Of course, it's school and even can be in the church youth group, right? So, <laughs> so many things going through my mind. So I'm trying to keep the questions in order of what I think would be helpful to moms. So since we're still talking about boys in the early years, you mentioned this gab phone. I'm sure moms are available of a lot of different things, but what guardrails would you suggest 
that she put into place to keep her to keep her boys from accidentally stumbling onto these things. So what what are just a few guardrails you would encourage her to have? Yeah, so I think that there are all kind. You know, in terms of the technology itself. There's, you know, different kind of filters and other things you can put on a computer that a kid has access to. And so open DNS type stuff that, or a covenant eyes or different, there's all, there's all sorts of different things to try to, to lock it down. Sometimes, you know, when it, even when it comes to things like Google or YouTube, there are settings that you can activate in order that would prevent some stuff. But the reality is, is that it's not going to prevent all stuff. And so we, well, we do, we have those sort of things in place. You know, my 13 year old, uh, we do have a little Chromebook that he can use to type his papers for his classes. And we, uh, and he can also in that he'll sometimes chat with his classmates about homework or about not homework. And, uh, and we, that's been, a we actually view that it's, you know, it's locked down as much as it can be in terms of the, the hardware, software sorts of stuff. Um, but the bigger thing is actually training him in certain kind of spiritual and practical habits. Uh, so it's things like you're not allowed to get on it without asking permission first. And that's even, that's true. Even if all he's going to do is, you know, write a paper, it's like, first come ask, I just want to know that you're on it. And if he goes, but why, you know, because I want to see if you'll obey my rules. (laughs) Like I'm trying to see if you're trustworthy. So a big thing with that in that age is just learning to handle technology wisely, learning for them to be responsible and trustworthy. And it's all under the trustworthy bucket for us. It's, it's not even yet in the sexual sin immorality bucket. It's just, can I trust you to follow house rules with technology? And so you need to ask before you get on. When you're on there to write a paper, you're not to go just searching anything on the internet. And that's, again, the same part of the, there will be things that you will not be able to forget. And so you, you don't just go search. If there's things that you need to find, come find me and I can help you with it. Or, you know, if you have older siblings that are wise and trustworthy as well, then it's like, you can go ask your older brother to help you with that project if you need to do some, some research of some kind. So, so there's ways that you're just trying to set boundaries and you're trying to discern Will they stay within them? And then along with that, cultivating habits of honesty when they don't. So you're training them to confess, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if you do, you know, so you need to just, and this is just in general in, in your relationship with them, when you sin or when you violate a house rule, I need to see that you'll come tell me and you'll be honest about it and you'll confess it. And so you're just trying to train them, hey, mom, Earlier today, I remembered I had a project and you weren't home. And so I, I got on the computer and I, and I did my project. And I remembered after that that's against the rules. You want that sort of thing. And then how you respond to that really matters. And it needs to be not with a kind of reactive, you know, intensity like, what, what, did you see anything? But instead, of, okay, thank you for telling me. That was a violation of the rule. You did break trust right there. And that's a big deal. And so now there's a consequence. And then you, you meet out the consequence. But it's all with a sense of, I love you. And the hardest thing for a mom in this area, and especially Lori, in a situation like you've described, like just picked up bits and pieces here about your own story, is the intensity with which you want to keep them from falling into the same trap that maybe a husband did or someone else. And so that intensity comes through in facial expressions and tones of voice, and it causes boys to just withdraw, right? Mm -hmm. And so, a key thing for moms is your own sober-minded, 
steady faith in the Lord. Here's a text that I would encourage moms to meditate on. It, it's, it, it's in a husband's and wife's context, but it's, um, don't let your adorning be external, but let it be with the hidden person of the heart, the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So that gentle and quiet is not about your personality. <laughs> it's about whether you're composed, whether your soul is in order and composed. Because he goes on, Peter goes on in First Peter 3 to say, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. That's the phrase there at the end, right? And so you have a hope in God that composes your soul so that you don't fear anything that's frightening. And it's like, that is what your sons need to feel from you, not just be right. told about, but like, that's the, that's what you want to bring to them is my mom is a woman who hopes in God is composed and doesn't fear. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's frightening, like the internet and what it can do to young boys is a terrifying thing. And so hoping in God and not fearing it and therefore being able to actually help them is a really big deal for, for moms who are trying to raise boys by themselves. That is so helpful. We'll need that. Do you have that text, that reference? Yes, yeah, First Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 3 to 7, I think. 3 to 6, something like that. Okay, that is so helpful. Moms, you have to stay composed. And I know you feel everything but composed when some of these things, whether it's related to pornography or not, our boys are very creative, right? They're creative guys and people. And so they think a lot of out-of-the-box <laughs> scenarios that moms would never think about and so whether it's related to this topic or others it takes a lot of self-control for a mom to remain composed for sure so that's really good encouragement right there jenny did you want to add something to this um yeah i have a quick question so um i have a 15 year old son do I, when we're approaching a conversation with our, like, let's say 14, 15, 16, 17 year old son, um, do we use the word pornography, like in the sentence, like, Hey, I want to have a sit down and have a conversation with you. Could you tell us some dangers that we can tell them kind of explain the importance of pornography and what it's going to look like down the road? Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think there are using the term may be okay, but I actually wonder. Uh, this is where I'm trying to think about. So, as a dad, I would talk to my kids about it. I think that there'll be a difference with mom, and I, that's where I think using more the language of immodesty, using more biblical language, may actually serve you well. And to say, hey, I want to talk about immodesty, you know, because I know that because because then you're bringing in both you know, the, the girls that are walking down the street as well as what happens on the phone and it's under a larger umbrella and, uh, and, it's, and it's, it's not as narrow and isolated. So even though the thing that you may be most concerned about is pornographic stuff on a phone or a computer, to actually have it as a part of a larger thing that has to do with immodest, how you respond to immodesty around you and how do you govern the curiosity that is aroused by immodesty around you. I think those would be the categories that I would try to to lead with in having a conversation with a teenage son who's going to be very uncomfortable probably by the conversation. And this is again where having, you know, visibility with pastors uh, 
to who might be able to serve and help in, in certain kind of ways to help you have that conversation or to lean in. But even if, if you're wanting to ask the question, even at a baseline of like, hey, have you ever, have you been dealing at all with, um, you know, there's a lot of modesty around us. Do you feel that curiosity? Do you have anything there that, that you'd want you to talk about with me? And, and you might actually want to give them, you want to talk about it with me or do you want to talk about it with, with Pastor Jonathan? That makes sense. And so what you're doing is, is you're trying to engage to see, is there anything there? And, and hopefully you've got the kind of relationship with them where there's some honesty and some communication and, and in situations of whether, you know, widowhood, I'm sure that there's shared, there's shared grief that you may have that actually may build a connection with your sons, like that, that heaviness of just the loss that you feel and whether it's when that could be true of, of widowhood or of divorce, I would say. And so that, that shared pain might be a thing of like, Hey, we can, we have honest conversations with each other about our hearts and, and it hurts and, and life is hard. And so you're, you're going to kind of bank on that to say, Hey, the immodesty is a thing in our world. Curiosity is a thing in boys desires. You know, you hit, you've, you're in, you're becoming a man. And so your desires are kind of out of control. That's totally normal. Do you feel like you need to talk to someone about that? I'm happy to talk to you. Or if you don't, if maybe you'd be more comfortable talking to pastor John or something like that, though, it would be an invitation. And what you're looking for there is, um, how does the, how does your son respond? Is it just a total shutdown, or is it a? I mean, yeah. Is it is it more of a sheepish? Like I, I do have some questions, and then you could say, well, okay. And again, a lot of this kind of stuff. Your goal as a mom is to de-escalate the situation, right? Mm-hmm. Because the 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 thing that in, that prevents it is the angst that kind of builds from you and to him and then back to you and to him and you just get angst going up like that. And your main goal ought to be deescalate. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about is as old as Adam. It's it. And it's normal and it's universal and it's common. It doesn't mean that there's not sin involved, but it means we're not surprised mm-hmm. and we're not panicking. And so that's like that, again, that composure in how you approach is as important as anything else. And then figuring out who are they most comfortable opening up to. And then what I would say is insofar as you can have a mentor, right? A pastor, a youth pastor, Sunday school teacher kind of take the lead on that. But then I think you should feel as a mom, part of what you should work out with that mentor is I need you to give me some visibility to this and some insight uh, into where he's at, because sometimes it's hard for me to get there with him. Uh, and so you want to be able to have really frank conversations with the pastor. So like if, if I, like if you guys were in my church, this is precisely how I'd want to serve in that capacity is be able to try to draw it out. And I'd probably honestly try to draw it out in a group setting with, For sure. with, with your son. So rather than sort of singling a son out and saying, Hey, let's talk about immodesty, yeah, et but instead it's, Hey, here's a group of guys, guys, this is something that we deal with. Who's ever dealt with that? Right. And you're, and you're, because what you're trying to do, there's so much shame by God's design associated with sexual sin. So much shame. And it it goes hidden, it goes underground. And so the task of parents and pastors is to try to not deny that that, that it's shameful. Right. It's not like, hey, don't be ashamed. It's no, there's shame here, but it's what do we do with shame? Where, what does Jesus want us to do with our sin and our shame? Where do we take it? And so as a pastor, I'm going to try to deescalate and say, hey, guys, where are we at? Draw it out and then say, okay, 
And then I'd be working through something like my book with them to try to talk mm-hmm. about, you know, the strategies and so forth uh, that they can do. And then I would try to give visibility to mom to say, yeah, it is an issue for him. It's actually not coming through his own. He's not, he's not cell phone or in your house. Uh, it's actually through uh, a neighbor is where he found it. And, and then I'm going to, then, then honestly, my goal there is actually going to be to shepherd you <laughs> and mm-hmm. say, I know that that's super frustrating that you did everything that you could and a neighbor kid showed him something. And now mm-hmm. you, you want to uh, cut off all contact with that neighbor kid. You want that, you want to move away and you, you want to forbid your son to ever be around that neighbor kid. Right. Okay? And so that, and it's a reactive, you, your passions just erupted. Okay. Well, here's the thing. What are you wanting your son to develop? And it's the ability to control his passions. You're, you're wanting him to control his passions, specifically in this case, the passions of sexual desire. Well, your passion of anger or anxiety or fear are just like his passions. And you need to, if you want to export it to him, you've got to, you can't export what you don't have. So you have to compose. So I'm going to be a shepherding mom at that point to say, I know that. But what your son needs to see here is that you see the danger and that you're going to, you can talk about it with him about how together the two of you can be wiser about that neighbor. Does that make sense? So instead of, instead of coming down on him or coming down in, within a heavy handed reactive way, it's, Hey, we both want to pursue holiness. I want you to be holy. I want you to be a godly young man. And so what can we, let, let's talk together about how we can do it. Now, again, we're still, I'm in the 14, 15, 16 year old range. If it's eight, nine, 10, it is. Yeah. You're just not going to go to that kid's house anymore. Right. But at 14, 15, 16, the burden is really to try to help them develop their own spiritual and emotional muscles to be able to join you in the fight for holiness and not simply rely on your sort of protection, external protection to them. This is so helpful. And so many things are bubbling through my mind. I know you too, Jenny, and I'm sure moms out there are like, oh, but what about this? What about this? And our time is ticking away today. So one thing, again, mentors really are your key. I say this often on the podcast, but do you feel, Dr. Rigney, that moms need to be really proactive and pulling in mentors at the right ages, which is usually when they are in the teen years, yeah. and and going before even that discussion happens, you know, like, and usually a lot of my mentors for my boys were dads of my son's friends. So when you're getting ready to have that conversation with your son, would you include my son? And it needs to come from a man. I understand what you're saying. The mom is the mom. But even in your book, I think you were saying that when a husband sins, yeah. It's best not to go and make himself accountable to the wife. He can't handle it. Right. So at one point you said, so the son should confess his sin, regardless if it's related to sexual sin or pornography, confess it to the mom. But I can see where a lot of boys are like, no way in the world am I telling my mom. And yeah. so speak to that a few minutes, please. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So uh, the, the the general pattern of you confess sin to mom is just a universal one. And, and meaning, um, if you violated a house rule, you need to confess it. And so it may be that he's not going to then confess the specific sexual sin to you, but mm-hmm. you're just trying to cup cultivate the general habit of confession of sin for the sake of healing, like the mm-hmm. James chapter mm-hmm. five tells us. And so that's the, that's what you're trying to cultivate when he's four or five, six, seven, eight, is that when he sins, he confesses to you. 
And then with this particular sin, given its uniquenesses, it's he's developed, he's the sort of person who knows how to confess sin. And then you're going to try to direct him. Hey, if you ever struggle in that area, if you ever fail in that area, I know it might be hard to talk to me, but I want you to know that you can talk to, um, to Bill. And, and I've talked you know, and, and Bill and I've talked or whatever, you know, like in other words, you can, you can direct him of when you feel that guilt that won't go away, where do you go with that? And it's go to talk to pastor Joe, go talk to Bill, right? Like you're, you're going to try to channel it, but you've, you, your job has been as his mom to cultivate just habits of honesty and confession uh, and forthrightness, not, not covering sin, right? Not shutting it down, not, not hiding it, but instead bringing it out into the open. I think the other thing on the mentor piece that I would say, I think would be in general helpful, maybe, and you guys might know better having lived it. I think there's ways in which your, your relationship as a mom should be to a couple. As oh, much absolutely. Possible. And what that's really going to do is it gives you as a mom, another woman to be able mm-hmm. to like, Hey, I don't know how to bring this up so I can say it to you. And then maybe together we can talk to your husband because I'm seeing something in my son that I don't like, but I don't want to just tattletale on it. You know what I mean? And so I think there's a way that having the couple element involved. um, And the other thing it will do is if my wife is involved in that kind of scenario, she's going to have a uh, internal experience to be able to help me relate to you. Like she's going to go, this is what Lori's feeling right now, Joe. You're not a woman. <laughs> you know, you, you don't know the, how scary this is for her. And so mm-hmm. you need to know that the main thing she's thinking about right now is this. And so as you try to help her and her son, make, you know, so that makes sense. And so, because so, I think, I, I imagine one of the hardest things is with the, mm-hmm. with the mentor relationship, uh, there, you, the mentor and the mom can miss each other, right? There can be times mm-hmm. where it's like, I really need your help, but I don't know how to express what I'm feeling here and you're not my husband and I'm not your wife. And, and so all of that stuff. And so having, having, a the wife involved, uh, as a sort of like, Hey, this is a community project, which mm-hmm. is quite frankly, the like biblical vision of like what a church should be. Right. Like, Absolutely. um, it's not, you know, Paul says you have many fathers, right? Like, you know, like it's not just mm-hmm. your biological father. My dad died when I was 30 and I have m- many many, a few at least, uh, sort of surrogate fathers, including my father-in-law and some other pastors mm-hmm. who orient to me in a fatherly way. And I have some mothers, uh, even though my mom's still living, I still have other, you know, older women who act as mothers. Mm-hmm. And so this isn't something that, that is a unique, a unique element for widows and divorcees, right? Like, um, cause yeah. I would say, and, and just as an encouragement to you guys, I would say that, you know, my dad was a Christian, he's a Christian you know, took us to church, but he wasn't the guy, he was not as much of a spiritual leader for me and especially in this area. And so it was actually other pastors and mentors in the youth group and other other dads of other kids that I would seek out, even though I, my dad was alive and a Christian. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's not a, it's not a unique thing to to feel like, and, and I see it in my own boys. I see that they actually respond in sometimes better to my friends, like my friends can be hard on them and call them to stuff in ways that I struggle to. And it's like, that's what, why we have community. That's what that's for. So I think just as an encouragement is, is not to see, um, there are unique challenges undoubtedly for a single mom raising a son, 
but there's actually a lot of overlap to just anybody raising a son in this world. And uh, that can be a, a relieve a little bit of the pressure. That's so helpful. So I have a question to say your boy is in the teenage years. And so you've laid down the house rules, but when, Pornography is on the table. They're not little boys anymore. They know it's a, a valid temptation. They know that it's not allowed. And they cross that line. What would you suggest is the best discipline? I'm asking this because I did make a big mistake with this. I learned that one of mine had crossed that line. So I first did the James and I made him go confess his sin to his mentors. Can you imagine how horrifying that had to have been for a young boy and you can believe they were very comforting because they'd probably been there done that so it was ended up being positive but I was trying to instill the James yeah um, reference and then I had said early on if you ever go to a pornographic site I knew you're going to gasp at this one you'll pay a hundred dollars per site. Well, for one, I never dreamed he would go to one. That was my naivety. And he went to 10. Yeah. And so now here's this young boy who doesn't have any money and he has to pay a thousand dollars. Right. So then he spent the summer earning money, painting the fence to pay. The, it makes me cry. Honestly, yeah. I, I've talked with this son and, and confessed my sin in that and asked forgiveness. I was just trying to be a good mom. And I know that I was trying to protect him. I, then he crossed the line. So now you've made me have to fulfill this consequence that we agreed on. And it was a desperate mistake on my behalf. And so how would you, how yeah. would you advise a mom to handle that situation? Yeah. So here's, here's just a general, this is a, a general principle that I think um, applies in a lot of different areas, but you, it'll be easy to see how it applies here. When, when Jesus talks in the, in the Sermon on the Mount about this issue. He says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. The principle is remove the instrument of sin. So the hand is not sinful, right? The hand is a gift. God gave you two of them. But if the hand causes you to sin, if the, in other words, the thing that's the instrument that's causing you to sin, that's the thing that needs to be removed. And so this is something that I've uh, at various times have wondered, I've wondered about, I've had wise pastors speak into this to help me with my own kids, where I would want to say, well, if they like um, say that they uh, misuse technology, it doesn't even have to be pornography, but they, they, you know, got on the computer without asking permission. One type of punishment would be, okay, so therefore you don't get to go to your baseball game. Does that make sense? Because I know he cares about baseball. It's just something he really loves. And so I'm going to make it sting by, hey, you violated here. So you don't get this thing. And a wise pastor said, no, no, because then, because what you actually want him to do is you actually want him to go play baseball. Like that would be good for his soul instead of wanting to be on technology. And so he said, keep, keep the punishment, the consequence related to the thing that's causing the problem. Mm -hmm. So in that case, it would be something like if, if, uh, if a son uses the, you know, computer and looks at pornography, it would be like, Hey, the computer's gone for a month. Yeah, but what if they're doing school? What, what back to virtual school? You know, what, what if they were in a situation where it's not an option to be on the computer for their education? Yep. Then it would be something like you're only you you may have to make sacrifices in terms of you're only allowed to be on the computer with me sitting next to you, right? So like you never by yourself, uh, and only for schoolwork. No, nothing uh, beyond schoolwork. 
So no watching of the YouTube video. Uh, and even when it comes to like research, if they have to do research for a school project, it might be, you're going to have to use hard books like I did when I was a kid, right? Like, mm-hmm. so, so in other words, what you're going to try to do is starve the thing that's the, the access point. So that, so that would be the, just the general principle is where, where is the sin? That's what needs to be cut off. So don't make the consequence separate mm-hmm. from the thing that caused the sin. That's just a it's, a, it's a wisdom principle. It's not an ironclad rule because there are times where you might say you don't get to go to the birthday party on Friday because you did this thing over here and you can use that. But it's, but instead it's as much as possible. Like one of the things that we've done as a family at times is if you, you broke fellowship in that way, you don't get to do that, but your sibling still does. Okay. And so like you, you don't get to have movie night because you've not been trustworthy with technology so, but the rest of the family is, you can go read a book in your room and it's, and, and, it, and the whole point is, this is the consequence. This is what sin does. It tears people apart. And I want you to feel that it tears people apart. And, and yet you're welcome to come be a part of the family outside of that. So, so I think that there's different, different things like that, that you can employ to try to communicate gravity, but also to teach the right use of the hand right? Mm-hmm. To gouge mm-hmm. out the eye to cut off the hand in order to, to produce it. So that's, that's what I would be doing. And if it's a, so high school student has a cell phone, cell phone causes a sin. It's like, Hey, that comes away now. And again, I would just say in general, if possible, gab phones or dumb phones or things like that are far, are a far better, wiser thing in general or for high schoolers. This is so helpful. And I'm just so sad that our time is really gone, but I, in your book, you talk a lot that it's really beyond the actual curiosity. Mm-hmm. Often there's a route that has taken a man or taken a young man to yep. find comfort in that source. And you say, you know, you talk about going behind the iron curtain. So, yep. and here, these are moms raising boys who lost a dad, so they're grieving. And so they want to find that comfort, whether it be in, whatever it is. So what would be your last word to moms when we're connecting those dots? Yeah, good. I, th- I think that one, one thing is, uh, this is it's part of composure for a mom, but it's going to be keeping your eye on the ball. It is really important for moms to recognize men and women are different. And the, the way that male emotional pain manifests itself is going to look frequently different than the way it does for women. Mm-hmm. And so to look at you know, that he's medicating on pornography because he's really sad about losing dad is a very plausible thing. It can give you compassion. It can actually help. Now, danger is compassion can become indulgence and you don't want that. But but to actually recognize that this is a way of acting out or a way of seeking solace um, in and, and working through grief and things like that. And so it's it's going to be keep your eye on that ball that underneath the actual actions, even when they're defiant actions. I told you not to get on the computer and you did that kind of thing. So you can see the sin and, and the, um, one of the principles in the book is explanations are never excuses, but they are important, right? Mm -hmm. So if you actually want to bring healing and freedom, you have to understand the drivers. Mm -hmm. And so if it is grief and pain from loss then it's how do we how do we minister to that? And it may be that you you, there, you have a role to play as mom, uh, mentor, 
or, you know, sort of father-like figure may have a role to play there in sort of helping to like relieve some of the, the pain there and the comfort so that it dials down that craving, which is being met because it's, it's really, uh, you have to have like all of us with our kids have to have a long game in view. Mm -hmm. Right. And so never, never get, and, and here's, here's the thing for moms. I think it's sometimes actually really easy for moms to internalize that idea. You've got a long game and the seeds that you sow now are going to blossom in 15 years. And it's easy for moms then to look at that little seed and to immediately see what it looks like 15 years from now, right? Especially if you've got a mom who's had her a husband who's sinned in this way and, and you're just like, I don't want his wife to have to go through what I went through. I don't want him to. And so it's easy to treat now this small sin, a seed sin, like it's a harvest sin. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Mm -hmm. And it's important to get the connection that there's seed sins that will blossom into harvest. And so we want to break the patterns, but you can't treat the seed like it's the harvest. Mm. In other words, you can't come down on the seed like it's the harvest because it will just, it will embitter kids. And so instead to go, we are trying to break patterns and habits, which means getting down to who has your heart, you know, the goodness of God, the kindness of Jesus, um, his presence for us in our sin, in our grief. We don't want to erect barriers between us and the only source of lasting comfort, which is what sin does, right? Like, right. and so those are the sort of things. And that could be, again, a conversation to kind of broaden out beyond the pornography to say anger is another sin in the midst of grief, right? So it would be easy to, be, to lash out in anger or to act out in other ways or to be rebellious and to do other things. And, and so to just shepherding your child to be able to say, um, I know that you're hurting, mm -hmm. but the only healing for this pain will come in faith and hope in Jesus, right. not in acting out. That will just make it worse. It will, you'll mm -hmm. add to the pain, guilt and shame and sin and destruction and ruin and broken fellowship. And so there's a better path. Let's go down the better path together. Uh, so that's how you would be trying to, to redirect and get down to that heart issue. And there is, a, there is a chapter or two in the book that really tries to deal with the emotional element underneath. Um, maybe one last thing, I think, maybe one, on this, I just thought, I thought of this, and this is, this is, I think, really important. I think for mom, moms may not recognize that a key driver, I talk about this in the book, but a key driver for men to pornography is the desire to feel strong, powerful, and manly for last yeah. time. that's that, that's the the allure of pornography often is vicarious masculinity so that means one way that even before it's ever an issue that you can help to insulate your son from that pull is by honoring his masculinity mm -hmm. right? encouraging mm -hmm. it not viewing it at you viewing it it's, it can be dangerous masculinity mm -hmm. is powerful and can wreck stuff really badly, but to see your masculine, your strength is a gift. God wants you to build something. He gave you that strength so that you could protect others and build things and serve him. And so admiration for your son, speaking well of him, commending him to others, letting him, over, letting him hear you commend him. Like when you see him do something good for his siblings or for a classmate to say, that was really honorable. I'm mm -hmm. so proud of you. That mm -hmm. kind of thing actually you, you may not realize, but the, there's connections there in your soul that says, I don't have to go seek approval from a computer screen woman because 
I have men in my life who are proud of me. My mom is proud of me. My siblings are encouraging to me. And so those needs that we all have are being met in appropriate ways. And therefore this isn't, this may, there may still be curiosity because we're human, but like it doesn't have the grip on you. Does that make sense? So, so I think finding ways to honor, commend, speak well of, uh, respect, encourage the, the man, manliness and masculinity of, of sons is another way that you can inhibit and, and sort of uh, immunize him against the pull of the screen. Oh, yes. And moms, this is a whole other podcast. Insert the word respect as much as you can. Yeah. Moms, we're foreign to that word and the power of that word, but it works. Instead of saying you love your son, just slip in that you respect him. And you'll see those emotional muscles puff up very quick. But Dr. Rigney, I don't want to put you on the spot, but we could have two or three more conversations on so many topics. So I hope you'll consider coming back. And Jenny, we didn't give you much time to ask many of your questions, but but we're, we're not through. We have a lot more to say on this topic, but do you have Anything to say in closing? Jenny, do you have any last minute thing you want to add or ask? Um, Well, one thing I do want to say is thank you for just the information that you're giving. And personally, I'm going to go, I'm going to go order your book, (laughs) you know, and I'm sure it will give me a lot of insight. Yeah. The only question I did have though, is one thing I've struggled in the last year is trying to find mentors, even like the church that I go to, sometimes I can't find them mentors. And then I have other people that say, oh, you can't trust mentors. You can't trust men in the church, Yeah, you know? And so I guess my only other question was, how do you approach that? Like if I were to find a mentor, what are some safe questions to ask that man? Yeah. So I think, uh, I think it'd be entirely appropriate. This is again where the finding targeting a couple. So one one of the what are you looking for? You would be looking for a, a man who you see the way he treats his wife, and you go, yeah, that I want. I want my son to be like that, right? And so I actually think approaching his wife and saying, hey, here's what I need that I have. I'd love to you know talk to Bill about whether he could invest a little bit in my son and and maybe bring him along. Could we have that conversation? And then I think. In that, you might, you know, again, so, you know, ideally developing a relationship with the wife would allow you to say, okay, here's a, here's a question. I don't know how to ask this, but one of the things I, I really want for my son is a man who is, you know, free from pornography. And because I want him to become like that, is that something, you know, so, so in other words, you, you might try to come at it that way as opposed to directly asking the man himself. Does that make sense? So I think that those would be some of the, some of the wisdom things, but I think it's a totally appropriate question for you to ask in seeking out a, a mentor to say, is this a man who walks in holiness, who has, you know, with God's help, mastered his own passions and his own desires. And to be able to say, Here, here's someone that I could entrust, you know, it could invite into the kind of the shepherding of, of my son. And, and if, if you're not sure about that, then I think the, the other angle to go at it would be to approach the pastor of your church. It may not be to ask him to be the mentor, could be, but it might be, do you know of men in this church that might, or, you know, couples in this church that might be willing to come alongside me and help shepherd my, my, my boys? Because he might have ideas of like, or you might ask him and say, hey, I've been thinking about approaching the Johnsons about maybe helping me. What do you think about that? 
And he might go, no, I don't think they're in a spot right now where that would be wise. Or he might go, they would be perfect. Absolutely. In fact, I'll, let's go together. I'll go with you to talk to him. So that'd be another way to try to identify people who might be willing, willing to. And then the other thing would be trying to, to maybe specify a little bit of what your expectations and hopes for would be in, in approaching. I'm sure you guys have had conversations about how to look for a mentor, but I can just see how if someone were to approach me with that question, I mean, the question was, well, what does that mean? What does it look like? What are you hoping for? And so if, if it, there, cause there might be some things it's like, it's actually not a lot. It's just a few really targeted things that I feel are so important that I don't know how to do as a single mom. Could you help me with those? And it's like, Oh, for sure. Easy. As opposed to, you know, now we're all going to be one big crazy family, right? Like, you know, expectations. And so if it really is in, in relation to this, these very delicate areas of masculinity and sexuality, I, I just need some help. I need some men to really invest in my son. It's a lower thing than a kind of holistic. Does that make sense? So, so I think, you know, again, clarity about expectations, approaching a pastor about, hey, what do you think about this couple? And then developing that relationship with, with the wife first and, and alongside as, as a couple. I have some relationships where I'd say that's how my wife and I are relating to some people where we really feel like we're coming alongside them and helping them work through hard things with their kids or in their marriage or so forth. And so that's a really special ministry. And I think both of you would also add to praying, you know, don't underestimate the power of God bringing those men and those couples into the lives of our children Absolutely. in ways that we never could. So he cares so much about our children and he knows that we have been left alone. He knows that they right. need mentors. And so just pray and, and trust that the Lord's going to bring those men and women. I know you can't put a sign in your yard, mentors needed because they'll run. And it really is um, the expectation thing. Dr. Rigney is so big. A lot of men, some of the best who would be great mentors, they're afraid they're not going to live up to whatever expectation we may not even have. So again, I keep saying moms, we're going to have a podcast on this, two or three. We are, we need to soon, but our time really is way beyond gone gone for today. Dr. Rigney, any last words to moms on the subject that we've talked about today? It's been so helpful. Yeah, I think that what you just said is exactly right. Prayer prayer is a huge deal. And again, specific, bold prayers. Take some risks in your prayers. The kind of prayers that God, either you're going to answer uh, in the way that I'm asking or do something better that will be obvious to me. And so not just generic prayers for your kids, but like specific, specific prayers. I think that's a great a great thing. Just the, the next thing you should do is probably that. For sure. And Jenny's a prayer warrior, I know, and, and the Lord does hear our cry, our prayer. So again, Dr. Rigney and Jenny, thank you. I've been honored to have both of you on the podcast today. And so thank you for giving your time. I do hope we can maybe in the future have some more conversations. I'd love to talk more about those roots. I'd love to talk several more conversations, but thank you. The Lord bless you in your work. Thank you so much for listening. I trust that this has been really helpful information. The purpose of the Help I'm Raising Fatherless Kids podcast is to provide just that, help for moms raising kids without a dad. And it helps us when you take time to give us a five-star rating and a review. We also need your help in getting the word out there that we're here 
Please share this podcast with other moms and invite them to come back next week when Mo Isom Aiken transparently talks about her struggle with pornography and how the Lord set her free. Yes, girls also struggle with pornography. You definitely do not want to miss that conversation. May the Lord bless you this week as you press forward toward the upward calling of raising the next generation of men and women who look to God as Father.